We are moving into a new year. 2011 is coming. 2010 is come and gone. And I want to talk this morning about opening my eyes uh, into the things that have come and the things that are coming. And uh, it's always important to take a few minutes, I believe, at the beginning of a new year to reflect a little bit about what happened last year. Um, it's a major milestone. Every new year that comes is a major milestone. It's, an, it's a turning of the calendar. It's a, it's a fresh start for all of us. And it's a common thing that affects everyone all around the world. Um, within the same 24-hour period, somebody around the world, everybody changes the year. It is something that happens to all of us. So as we look back on 2010 and reflect on the events of the year, do you wonder, like me, why some things did or did not happen? Do you ever go back and try to figure it out and you, and you wonder um, why some of those things happened or why didn't they happen? And when you do wonder like that, do you ever wonder if God really is in control? Do you ever wonder that? It's okay. I think it's okay to wonder those things because the Bible records many times when Jesus talks to his people and they don't have a foggiest what he's talking about. If you look at it, look, look in Luke chapter 2, verse 50. But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Luke 9:45. But they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them. So they did not grasp it, and they were afraid to ask about it. Also, Luke 18:34, the disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. And these are people that were walking with Jesus. God has a plan and a reason for our lives, personally and collectively. And I believe he has two different ways or processes or events and how he shares that with us. Number one, he always shares the right amount and the right type of information with us. Number one, he shares the right type and the right amount of information with us. And number two, he always does it in the perfect timing. So he shares the right type, the right amount of information, and he shares it with us when the time is right. See, he understands the rules much better than we do. He made up the rules, and he understands them. And as we talk about these uh, two different plans or processes, the right amount of information and the right timing of the information, I think that helps us kind of analyze the whys that come into our lives. Because we all have those wonders. Wonder why, I wonder when, I wonder who, I wonder what. Those are all good things to have. Otherwise, Jesus would have told his disciples clearly, and they never would have wondered anything. There's a reason. There's a reason that God gives us just a little bit of information at a time. So as we look back at 2010 and try to make sense of it, the good and the bad, we have some options as to how we can do that and how we can handle that information that God has chosen to reveal to us at that time. We can either receive it or we can argue against it. And I'm here to tell you it's not worth your time arguing about it. 
It's not worth your time arguing with God because he is in control. Whether you realize it or not, whether I realize it or not, he is in control. He's never lost it, and he never will lose control. He has it all in his hand. So when we look back and we wonder, let's understand how we do it. Let's understand a little bit about these processes. As we walk through our life, we go through, through the process of acquiring knowledge. And how do we do that? What is the process of acquiring knowledge and understanding? We do it one little bit at a time. You never arrive with your life's full of knowledge at one time. It doesn't happen all at once. It's a process of learning precept upon precept, concept upon concept. One thing leads to the other, and we learn a little bit at a time. It's like the way our body grows. We don't automatically grow up. We grow a little bit at a time, and in most cases, we don't even realize that we're growing. It's not something that's measurable daily. I don't know if I grew a fraction of a centimeter today. I, 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 well, I do feel it in my belt. Uh, <laughs> I can feel that pretty quickly. Unfortunately, it's quicker coming on than going off. That's one of my New Year's resolutions that we talked about, um, that I, I can feel that. Talk, Chris talked about feelings. Well, I can feel my belt getting tighter. So therefore, I, need, I know I need to feel it getting looser. And the way I do that is through one step at a time by eating a little bit less and working out a little bit more. And uh, hopefully I will be able to do that. But we acquire knowledge in small increments. And many times it's not measurable in days, but it's measurable over growth of time and our wisdom and our maturity. It's like growing pains. Sometimes you wake up, I can remember our kids when they were growing, that they would, they would uh, say their legs hurt because they were having growing pains. But yet I didn't see them any taller the next morning. But I saw them taller in a few months. And that's part of the way we grow up. And that's part of the way we learn things. We acquire knowledge in a couple of different ways. We acquire it through book learning and formal education. And then we also acquire knowledge in life and experiences. Book learning and formal education by reading a book and then learning how to apply it. Or we learning it through hard knocks, the life of hard knocks, the school of hard knocks. Now, of the two, which, in your opinion, lasts longer and has the most significant impact? I'm going to show hands. Which one thinks that book knowledge lasts longer? Raise your hands. All right, there's John. And then there's the rest of us that don't aren't quite as smart as John, and most of us learn through life's experiences. Is that true? That seems to be the one that we have to, unfortunately, learn through most. I wish we could learn through somebody's mistakes. I wish I could read a book of somebody's mistakes and learn by that and not have to live through my own. It would be a lot less painful, be a lot less expensive, a lot less hurtful for me personally if I could just read about somebody's mistakes and then not have to experience my own. Isn't that true? I know my wife would love it if I could do that. It would, take, it would make it a lot easier for her too. But I have to make my own mistakes, and unfortunately that's the way we have to go through it. Our personal revelations of life are the ones that are life-changing for us. And unfortunately that has to, we have to feel the pain. We have to feel the growing pains 
in our own legs if we're going to grow. And sometimes life can be hard and, and the, the experiences of life can be difficult. And, but those are the times that I grow and those are the times that I really then have that personal revelation that makes a difference for me that I won't forget. You know the old adage, you, if you don't use it, you lose it? That really is true when it comes to book knowledge. If you uh, are struggling, if you're trying to learn a new computer program or something of that nature, and if you don't use it on a regular basis, you just go away from it for a few days and try to go back and, and go pick up where you left off and you lose it. But it's amazing when I have a personal revelation, when I have a personal life experience that happens to me, it doesn't, I don't forget it. And I can go right back into it. And I look at situations in my life when I look at um, things that I remember. I remember a lot of golf holes very well. I remember some really good golf shots. And I also remember watching Tim swing a club. Because Tim really swings hard. When Tim goes for a ball, he really goes for it, man. He doesn't leave anything out. And I'll never forget that. <laughs> That's a good thing. And so we have to have those personal revelations. And it's unfortunate that, that we can't just learn by watching Tiger Woods. If I could watch Tiger Woods, his swing, and emulate his, boy, I, I would be really good. I, I would really be a good golfer. But I can't do that. I have to make my own mistakes. I have to hit my own bad shots and lose a lot of golf balls in the process before I can even begin to improve. And that's what life is. Um, and I want to talk about the eye-opening experiences that come to our life through those revelations. You know, it, it, we're not the first ones to experience this. This goes back to the very beginning of time. You go back to the Garden of Eden, and when we reflect upon what happened there, and Adam and Eve, and what happened there, uh, they didn't, they had to understand it through revelation on their own experiences as well. Because God gave Adam and Eve a very clear set of instructions tend to the garden, and leave two trees alone. There was a tree of life, and there's a tree of knowledge. Let's leave those two trees alone, and you just tend to the garden. Very simple. Very simple. Didn't, there wasn't a whole lot more to do besides just tend to the garden. But what happened to Eve? And this is what happens to us. So I'm not blaming Eve or Adam, but this is what happens to us as well. We get preoccupied with the things that we shouldn't know. We get too preoccupied with life, and we want to know things maybe we shouldn't know. Do you think God wants us to know everything? Do you think he does? No, I don't think he does. I think there are some things that are better off that we don't know. I'm not saying ignorance is bliss, and I'm not saying we don't strive for knowledge because the Bible clearly says that we're to continue to strive for knowledge and godly knowledge and Bible reading. But there are some things that it's better off that we don't know. Eve got preoccupied with some things. She got preoccupied, and rather than tending to her own business and just doing the things that she was instructed to do, she got preoccupied, and here's what happens when you get preoccupied. The devil comes in, and he takes residence in our life. She never would have eaten from the tree of, of knowledge if the devil wouldn't, if she wouldn't have given opportunity to speak to the devil. If she would never have gone to that, that communication or that conversation, she wouldn't have been deceived. But she got preoccupied. And let's read it, what, she, what happens to her. This is a very common scripture. We've read it before many times, Genesis 3. 
verses 2 through 7. It says, The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God's, but, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. Verse 4, You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. See, God didn't really want them to realize they were naked. There was no reason for Eve and Adam to know that. That's not the way God designed it. He designed them to be naked forever. Now, I know our minds go down the bad path with that, but that's because we're in the fallen nature. But if we would have stayed where, if they would have stayed where God had created them to be, occupied with what God told them to be occupied with, and not uh, enticed by the things He didn't want them to know, they never would have realized they were naked. And then they never would have realized that they needed clothing. And then the whole thing happened, and you know the end of the story because we're living in it right now. We're the result of their knowing, wanting to know more than what God really intended them for them to know. Now, here's another way to look at that just a little bit. Maybe God wanted them to know that eventually, but maybe God was going to reveal it to them in the way that he was going to reveal it to them in a controlled fashion. When man takes charge of something, we typically screw it up, don't we? When God, if God would have said, you know what, guys, I was going to tell you that, but I was going to do it in a way that wouldn't have hurt you. If you would have just been patient, if you would have just waited on me, if you would have just minded your own business and did what I was instructing you to do, I would have given you all that information in a way that it wouldn't have hurt you. But because you were impatient, because you got the cart before the horse, and because you didn't abide by my ways, and you want to do it your way, then guess what? You have to deal with the consequences. And it's exactly what happened with Adam and Eve. And we're dealing with the consequences. Maybe we should learn from them a little bit, even in our late hour. Maybe we should learn to trust God a little bit more. Maybe we should learn to, to trust him and do as we're instructed and not to worry about so much about the other things. God has specific things he wants us to know. He wants us specific things he wants us to share with us in 2011. He wants to open our eyes, but he wants to do it in a way that is for my good, not for my bad. He has the perfect time to share it. So he has the perfect amount of information, number one, the perfect amount and type of information, and he, always, and he also has the perfect time to share it with me. We, Doug mentioned at the end of Sunday school class this morning, it was perfect timing when he said it. He said, we wish we could know what was going to happen in 2011. Be careful what you ask for. Be careful. Do you really want to know? Because it might be so bad you couldn't handle it at one time. 
Or it might be so good you can't wait to get there. And in both of those situations, you're probably going to screw it up because you're not waiting for God's timing. So we're better off to slow down and trust God and not get worried about it and not get uptight about it and not get anxious about it. The Bible says don't, do not be anxious about anything. Why? Because even if I do, I can't change it. We were coming up yesterday, uh, driving up from um, Brighton or uh, Grand Rapids, and we were recognizing that the snow was going to come again. It was getting cold. And, um, and I said, boy, I hope it snows because then I could use my snowshoes that I got for Christmas. And Chris said, well, don't wish it on us because then we're going to get snow. And, and here's what, and I didn't, I, it could have been an argument, but I didn't go there. I, I, I could have said, you know, it really doesn't make any difference what I wish. It's going to snow whether I wish it or not. I can't stop it from snowing because I don't want it to snow. But here's the deal. By me having an attitude, say, I wish it would snow, then I could use my snowshoes, I might enjoy it when it snows. And I might have a different attitude about it, and I might have a different perspective about it, and all of a sudden when it's snowing and it's really bad out there, rather than me grumbling about it and having a bad attitude about it, I can say, great, I get to use my snowshoes. I can't stop it from snowing anyways, so I might as well just have the attitude of enjoying it. Make sense? And isn't, can't we apply that in a lot of areas of our life? Here's the, here's the deal. When God wants to share the information that he wants me to know, take it. And if he doesn't want to share it with me right now, don't worry about it. Because he has perfect timing, because he knows what I can handle, when I can handle it, and how much to give me. So therefore, do not be anxious about anything. For tomorrow will have its own problems. Just live for today. Do what you're supposed to do today. Timing really is everything. Timing is everything. If I want to have a discussion with somebody, if it's not the right time, don't have the discussion. If I'm going to force something, then it's not going to be worth it. So timing really is critical that I'm that I'm discerning the time. I'm discerning the mode, the mood of the moment. Think about those times in life when those teachable moments are just right. When that discussion that you're going to have to be the most profitable. There are teachable moments in every relationship that we need to be sensitive to. Parents, there are teachable moments when it's right and how to and, and the right time and the right way to discipline your children. There are teachable moments. When Johnny is playing near the street and the ball, ball rolls into the road and he runs after it without looking for cars, is a very appropriate time to have the discussion about traffic safety. When Sally wants to go out on a, on a, on a date with Billy and we know Billy may be a little bit more worldly than Sally is, that's a perfect time to have a discussion with her about um, things they shouldn't be doing. But if I had Sally and she's three or four years old, and if I was going to explain to her the issues of premarital sex and how it's inappropriate to have that at three years old, it's not appropriate. Sally couldn't understand what I'm talking about. But when she's 14, 15, 16 years old, she understands clearly what I'm talking about. And those are the times. In fact, you should start that a little bit earlier maybe, but not at three 
So it is with God. He gives me information when I'm, when I'm mature enough to handle it and when it's appropriate for my life. So teaching, God teaches us the same way that we teach our children when timing is appropriate and when discipline is appropriate because God needs to discipline us sometimes to get our attention. He needs to discipline us sometimes to get our attention so that we are ready to hear, we're ready to understand, we're ready to embrace, we're, we're ready to um, uh, comprehend the information that he's sharing with us. So many times the, the, the disciples didn't understand Jesus because they weren't ready to absorb it. Something had to happen in their life that, that gave them a revelation, an eye-opening experience, and they weren't ready to receive it yet. Likewise with us. Sometimes something has to happen in our life that, the, the, that we have to get our attention, and then God is willing and ready and able to share the, the, the information with us, whether it becomes the revelation or it becomes the eye-opening experience. You know, if we're going to feed somebody, if we're going to feed our child, um, there is good food, and then there is good food. There is good food that's good for them, and then there is good food that tastes good. And um, most of the time, I struggle with food. If it tastes good, spit it out, because it's probably not good for you. You know, if, it's, if it tastes really good, those french fries taste really good, then you probably shouldn't be eating them. Spit it out. But that oatmeal, you know, unless you put a lot of sugar on it, you know, it's probably better for you. But see, there's the thing. When you eat food, there is good food, and then there's good food that's good for you. God knows what is good for you, not just the good food, not just the sugary food, not just the high-carbo uh, high, uh, food. There is good food, and we need to learn how to eat the good food. A diet of junk food is not good for us. And, and, and as we feed our children, as you feed babies, you, you are the parent. You control the food they eat and the amount of the food and the type of food that they eat. We are God's children. If you're a saved person, you're God's child. We're not all God's children. We hear it all the time in the world. Oh, we're all God's children. No, we're not. We're all God's creation. But we're not all God's children. We're only God's children is when we accept Jesus Christ and we become a joint heir with Christ. Then we're God's children. When we become his child, he then controls my diet. A good parent controls the diet of the child. I may be wanting to feed that child some really good uh, baby food called, you know, pureed, per, per, ground up. What is it? Yeah, that. Parade sp spinach. Gerber spinach. Now, that's terrible stuff. It's terrible. But yet it's good for the child. It's good for the baby. And I want them to eat all of it. But how do you, eat, how do you get that child to eat all of it? You just don't take that, the, uh, the biggest spoon you can find in the kitchen and dump all that baby food on one big spoon and then just jam it in the baby's mouth at one time. You, you, couldn't, you wouldn't do that. No, what you do is you find a nice, small, rubber-coated spoon that fits nicely into the jar, that goes into the baby's mouth very nicely, and it's soft. It doesn't hurt their gums, and it's very easy for the child to eat. And you feed that baby one little spoon at a time, one little spoon at a time, and you don't let the baby control how fast he eats. 
you feed them at the rate that you know the baby needs to eat at. You feed them fast enough that you don't get bored with it, but yet fast enough that, and he'll eat it, but he don't shove it in so much that he spits it out and he's Oliver's bib and he doesn't eat it. We can, and and you, you don't let the baby dictate the rate of eating. God dictates the rate of our growth. God dictates it. Who am I to tell God, no, God, slow down, or no, God, speed up? It's not up to me. I'm God's child. He's the parent. And he spoon-feeds me in the right amount of information and the right amount of timing for me to live my life. And if I'm going to be a healthy child, then I'm going to eat the food that God gives me. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to reject the food. I'm not going to reject what he's trying to feed me in my life. God is choosing the experiences. He is, he is determining what's best for us. He's controlling all that. Now, as we get ready to conclude this message, let me ask you a couple questions. Are you willing and ready to let God control that in your life? Are you demanding of God to say, God, give me the answers? Or are you willing to say, Lord, I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. Maybe I wasn't real happy with the way things went in 2010. Or maybe I was very happy with the way things in 2010. Another year's coming. 2011 is a whole new year. A whole new year. What are you going to do with it? How are you going to accept it? Are you going to be willing to let God be the feeder and you be the feedee? Are you going to be the baby and let God be the parent like you should? Or are you going to become preoccupied with things like Eve was and then let the enemy come in and give you some information that maybe you shouldn't have? See, the thing about Adam and Eve and Satan is that Satan didn't completely lie to Eve because Eve didn't die and she became like God. She became like God. She, now she knew right and right from wrong. So Satan isn't a complete liar, but what he is, he never tells the truth. He can't tell the truth. He'll tell a lie enough to make you believe it. Then he'll set the hook, and he'll reel you in, and then you're the fish in the line. So what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do in 2011? Are you going to be open to God's wisdom? Are you going to be open to him? Can you, can you ask, as the psalmist does in Psalm 25, where he says, Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God, my Savior. And my hope is in you all day long. Can you really ask him that? Are you really saying, show me your ways? Or are you telling him, show me my ways? And you be in my life. Rather than, no, you show me your ways, God. John 14, 21 says, Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him, them and show myself to them. Do you want your eyes opened? Do you really, really, really want your eyes opened, or are you just saying it? If Jesus is going to show himself to you, if he's going to open, to you, open your eyes, 
and, and show you and, and, and reveal to you what he has for you, then according to John 14:21 that we just read, that we have to be willing to obey and keep his commands. And then he will show himself to me. But if I just say, God, show me yourself so that I can decide whether or not I want to take it, don't count on God showing you anything. He understands. He sees your mind. He understands your motivations. If you're really wanting to understand God's plan, then you have to be willing to obey them. You can't say, God, show me behind door two because I might choose door three if I don't like what you're showing me. So if you really want to know what God has for you in 2011, and if you really want God to open your eyes, then you have to first be willing to obey and then keep the commands. There are so many conditional promises in the Word of God, and I'm not embarrassed to say it. I'm not ashamed of it. They are. If you do this, I will do that. If you do this, I'll do that. We have to become, we have to grow up. We have to grow up in our spiritual life. And when we're ready to grow up, he will, food, he will spoon feed us one bite at a time. He's not going to jam it down your throat. He's not going to make you choke on it. He's not going to try to make you eat that whole jar of spinach at one time. He'll, make, he'll, he'll, he'll feed it with you when you can eat it, as you can eat it, so that you can grow in it. So as we prepare to take 2011 as our next project, I encourage you to, to uh, really um, discern your heart. Examine your own heart. As we get ready to take communion this morning, examine your own heart. Are you really wanting God to show you? Or are you playing a game? You know, the only way we're going to grow this church in 2011 is to stop playing the game. Stop playing it. We need people. People need to be in this church. Not, not so we can grow this church. It's nothing to do about numbers. It's about spiritual growth. I believe the Lord wants to spiritually grow us. Do you agree with that? Do you, do you really believe that we're on the right track? If you really believe we're on the right track, don't you want your friends here? Don't you want your family members here? Don't you want others here to, to grow with you, with us? The only way that's going to happen is if we do it. We do it. I do it. You do it. We listen to God's plan and we listen to God's timing, perfect timing, in the way that he wants to share it with us. And we'll grow. We'll grow spiritually. We'll grow personally. We'll grow corporately. God will be pleased with us. Ask the Lord to reveal in your heart. Ask him to open your spiritual eyes. And understand what he has for you this year. And I really pray that this would become a new year for many of us or a recommitted year for all of us. We're moving at a very fast rate in this world. We were talking about it over the weekend, how quickly technology has changed, how quick things are moving in our world around us. We are very rapidly moving 
faster than ever to the end. I really believe that. I really, really believe that. We are moving faster and faster to the end. It's happening all around us. This may be the last year, but I don't know, I don't know if it's going to be the last year, but I can say and I can do everything in my power to make it the best year. The best year of my life so far is coming up. The best year of my life so far is coming up. I mean, let's just take this time and examine our hearts. Just close your eyes, if you will. You don't have to come up to this altar to make a commitment to Christ. You don't have to be up here. You don't have to get all wound up. But what you need to do is make a decision. What you need to do is examine your heart and to ask Christ to give you the fullness of his knowledge and his wisdom. Now, if you haven't accepted Jesus in your heart, you can do that very simply by just saying, Father, I'm sorry. Jesus, forgive me of my sins this morning. Forgive me for the things that I've done that are wrong, how I failed you. Forgive me of my sin and come in and live in my life. That's all it takes. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Amen.